0: This week on Dig Me Out...
1: Formed the band with drummer Stump
0: Monroe. Wasn't he one of the drummers in Spinal Tap? He might have been. Tim and Jay review Power Trippin' by the Almighty.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host Tim Minici, and joining me as always my co-host... Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it is episode 244. 244 times we have done this, and it doesn't get... We're still alive. It doesn't get any better than this, Jay. It doesn't get any worse, either. It doesn't get any better. It just kind of floats along at an even keel.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: I'm not sure what any of that means.
0: You're pretty much describing... When you get to
1: 40 I am describing 40 Just kind of Puttering along Accumulating tools in my garage (laughs) Picked up a nice router this weekend So Looking forward to working with that
0: You are are. mm -hmm. Just on autopilot
1: It's just autopilot till death, Jay Which, by the way, is the name of my next album Autopilot till death Everybody look (laughs) for that on iTunes First single to drop I bought a new router
0: And uh, the mystery—it's a double entendre. It's a, either a internet router or a wood router. Exactly. You play with both themes. You never know which way you're going with it. Right.
1: That's how my—that's how my lyrics roll. Jay, we picked uh, our album. We pick our albums um, from week to week based on listener suggestions, and then also albums that you and I want to check out. This week happens to be an album that you suggested that we check out and it's a band called the almighty and their album power trippin from 1993 that is spelled trippin with an apostrophe at the end no g Mm. so jay tell me why did you pick the almighty's power trippin
0: uh well this was a band that i stumbled into in a weird way um my brother in law uh, was in bands uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: in, the, in the 90s, and they got a gig opening for this band who I'd never heard of before. And were given a cassette. Um, he didn't really care for it much. He was in the sort of like, you know, straightforward 80s metal bands. So sure. he, he gave it to me. Um, I started listening to it and really dug it, ended up going to the show and you know how people say I was the only one at the show we were literally the only ones at the show it was <laughs> me, Ke- Keith and my wife and the other bands were there but they weren't watching they were basically like calling in gear and wandering around you know, there was a bartender mm-hmm. and the band so they played first? yeah uh, I guess. I guess so even though they were the headliner, I don't. I think I guess they did. Yeah, um, you know they're from Scotland, so right. Uh, you know, early '90s. Not a lot of uh, promotional money, I suppose, going into them, and uh, they're out on a tour in a country that has no idea who the hell they are. And uh, I think they were trying to like you know put them on bills with local bands to try to get some you know crowds in there, but. Yeah, it was like a Tuesday night or something crazy, and so anyway, I saw them live. We just stood like center stage up front. I just they basically did a personal concert for me, Keith, and my wife. Um, so anyway, I really dug the record. Um, it was one of those, you know, <clears throat> probably the last. It may have been the last cassette that I that I had that I really listened to a lot. I think I, from this point, you know, forward, it was all CDs for me. Mm -hmm. So that may have had something to do with why I liked it so much, just because, you know, with cassettes, it was, you'd throw it in, and if it was the only cassette in your car or was already in the tape deck, you'd just leave it there because you're too lazy to take it out. And, uh, you know, I found uh, that era era of music, even though it was severely flawed in many ways, that that was one thing that was uh, sometimes interesting and that I think you'd gain an affinity for a particular album just because uh, he was stuck in your tape deck. (laughs) Right. So um, he's gone on, the singer uh, Ricky Wark has gone on to front, uh, he had a solo career and now he fronts, first led uh, Thin Thin Lizzy and now they're called Black Star Riders. So I thought it would be interesting to go back and just see if I like this record now as much as I did then and uh, I was curious to see what you thought of it.
1: Well, we're going to get into that, but first, Jay, we have to get into the actual history of this band.
0: History of the band.
1: You mentioned that they were from Scotland, uh, Strathaven, Scotland, to be precise. They formed in January of 1988. And as you mentioned, lead singer Ricky Warwick uh, formed the band with drummer Stump Monroe, this is a great name for a drummer. Uh, bassist, Wasn't he one of the drummers in Spinal Tap? He might have been. One Stump that,
0: Monroe. The one that uh, uh, exploded?
1: No, I think his arm was bitten off by a crocodile mid-set, is what happened to Stumpy. You're right. Stumpy Peeps? Yeah, Stumpy Peeps. Uh, bass, bassist Floyd London. and uh, they were The three of them were friends at school, and they had previously played together in a band called Rough Charm. They were joined by guitarist Andy Tantrum McCaffrey to complete the lineup. They produced a demo and ended up signing to Polydor in 1989, recorded their first album, Blood, Fire, and Love, which was released in October of that year. Their second album, Soul Destruction, was released in March of 1991. It was produced by Andy Taylor of Duran Duran. Interesting. Really? Hmm. Yes, In March of 92, so about a year later, there were internal differences in the band, and Andy Tantrum McCaffrey left the band. Not sure if it was a tantrum or if it was a civil parting, but he was replaced by Canadian guitarist Pete Friesen, who had previously played with Alice Cooper.
0: Yeah, he's in um the Wayne's World movie that Alice Cooper's in. He's featured in that movie. Okay. A couple of scenes.
1: So April 93, they released Power Trippin', the album we're going to check out. is their first album with Pete Friesen on guitar, and it charted at number five in the UK. So their fourth album, Crank, was released uh, in late 1994 on Chrysalis Records. Chrysalis. Chrysalis. Never know how to pronounce that correctly. Always mist- Always make a mistake there. Uh, Their fifth album, Just Add Life, was released in 1996. Later that year, the band broke up. As you mentioned, uh, Ricky Warwick went on to do some solo work. The band got back together in 2000 and released the self-titled album um, with Nick Parsons replacing Pete Friesen on guitar. A year later, they released Psycho Narco with new bassist Gav Gray replacing longtime bassist Floyd London. They once again broke up, and Ricky Warwick went back to a solo career. In 2006, they got back together the original lineup of Ricky, Stump, Floyd, and Pete to play a couple of shows. But two years later, November of 2008, Floyd announced he was leaving the band... And the band has been on hiatus ever since. Um, Although they did do like a reunion show, like a one-off. That's it for The Almighty. If you have an album you'd like to suggest for us to review, please visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. We got some feedback on this record uh, over at digmeoutpodcast.com. Stephen Frazier chimed in. He said, I remember this band very well. And the first album, Soul Distortion, and the song Free and Easy, and Jesus, I love you. Jesus loves you, but I don't. And read a whole interview with Ricky the front man in Classic Rock Magazine uh, that was on sale in the UK. So apparently we need to check out that interview with with Ricky uh, in Classic Rock Magazine. Alex Gibson over at our Facebook page said, saw them on a bill when Metallica played the Milton Keynes Bowl in 1993. I'd heard them, I didn't like them, and seeing them live didn't change my mind. If you want a properly British rock record from the 90s, try Earth vs. the Wild Hearts. Baby Chaos supported them in 1994, which might pique your interest. So there we have uh, some interesting feedback on the record, Jay.
0: Yeah, I think they were a band that uh, my take on it was that, as often happens in the UK, uh, in, in regardless of the genre almost, it seems like a lot of young bands quickly get um, hype. And I felt like when I go back and listen to the first record, the record, there's one record before this one, right? Uh, two. It's, this is their third record. Okay, so the early stuff to me sounds like a completely different band. Like, not quite sure who they are. yet. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of in the way that, um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of UK bands that are like that. One, this Manchester Preachers kind of comes to mind. Like, where the first record, <clears throat> record and a half, maybe two records. It's, it's, it's more derivative. It's less. Um, there's something there but it's not quite figured out yet right and then by the third record they really kind of get their feet under them and define themselves and that's was kind of my take on this band too that this was the record where it all kind of came together at least for me i I think the feedback we got both sound like they may have been from um folks from the uk which is a little skewed because in america this band is completely unknown Right. Um whereas I think over there they had some marginal notoriety of, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh you know the goal here wasn't to just pick one one UK hard rock band. We'll uh we'll get to the Wild Hearts at some point. This isn't in place of the Humpets for sure.
1: No. I, we're going to get there eventually. Um This was just one that I think you had been tossing out for a while and we finally went all right let's just put it on the calendar
0: this is the the first pick either either of us have done uh, is it all year or at least for a long time right? um
1: it, it might be the next one coming up is my pick so this might be the first or might maybe the first, first the or season. second pick of the season that we've actually gotten to yeah. pick one so yeah let's actually talk about the record and uh, yep. About power tripping so you suggested so i'll i'll give you some some feedback on it uh i can't say that i i completely disagree with uh, with alex's uh take it's not a matter of liking them or not liking them it's a matter of uh i guess when i heard the record the first time i kind of went okay this sounds familiar like i can kind of see where the influences are and know it's 93 so a lot of bands that were two or three albums into their career um you know might make this record in in 1993 uh as you know 91 92 is like the sort of transition years from out of 80s metal into into grunge um well we still had some bands You know from that era, but now you know as you said that this band didn't sound like this prior, and a lot of that has to do, I believe, with with uh, Pete Friesen joining the band, who had been in Alice Cooper's band, and and from what I read, he was instrumental in in a lot of the guitar part writing, uh, in terms of bringing a lot of the riffs to the band. Um, What's interesting is that uh, if you look at the credits for this record, Del James is credited to for two of the songs. Um, who is the muse of Alex or of uh, Axel P. Rose mm-hmm. or W. Axel Rose, excuse me. On which, um, use your illusion song? one
0: and two, which songs on here,
1: uh, over the edge mm. and instinct tracks three huh. and tracks 10 are both credited to Warwick and Dell James.
0: I have um, guns and roses in my notes several times, but not on, not on those two songs.
1: Well, and that's, that's where I was kind of getting at where I was bringing in the Dell James because, you know, this is a band that in the wake of Use Your Illusion, when we had our, you know, previous discussions on Mother Love Bone and, 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 Guns N' Roses about alternate universes in the 1990s based on, you know, how things had played out, you know, this is, this is a band that sounds perfectly at home, could have been opening for Guns on that tour or at some point during that tour, which was like five years long, um, you know there are parts of this record that sound like parts of those records and um but to me they also sound a little derivative of those parts um and derivative of uh some bands from the early 90s that i, I read a lot of comparisons to say like the first alice in chains record in terms of the riff writing and the and the and the riff and the guitar playing on this record i failed to um I guess step out of the shadows of those better bands like there were some interesting parts um I enjoyed some of the lyrical turns like Jesus loves you but I don't and there's some other ones that were had some interesting lines but overall I kind of found it to be I don't know it just kind of sat there for me and it didn't really you know listen to it a couple times Tried to make some notes about, okay, what stood out, stood out for me, and there was nothing really that was like, that was an amazing guitar part, or that was a really cool this or that. It just kind of all was kind of flatlined for me as being not terrible and not unlistenable, but just kind of generic is the word I would use. Hmm. So tell well, me I'm so, wrong.
0: Well, I think um, I, I'm totally biased because I'm... You know, listened to this a ton when it came out. So to me, a lot of this was uh, very original in that uh, there was no. Yes, at times you can hear an Alison Chain's influence with the the drop, you know, down tuning. Uh, A lot of bands were playing with that, Mm -hmm. but they maintain their, uh, especially with the drums. There's a thrash aesthetic here, and there's also a a pretty decent motorhead tradition of, of punk and metal at times, um mixed in on some of these songs. And then there's uh an element of just melodic hard rock, you know, uh say Sonic Temple era the cult. Um and I like that on the best songs on the record they blend all those those elements together into one song. And uh you, it's shifts and turns, even within the same riff. I feel like track one addiction, the main riff, I think has a really cool balance of, there's kind of a major feel and a minor feel. Um, or there's a, um, see some other songs where they'll, the riff will start off and have um, maybe more of an open chord, more hard rock feel. And then it'll get mute, more muted and simple and turn into, it's the same chords, but it'll turn into a, uh, more of a you know, a, a down, uh, you know, at that time, modern you know, Allison Chainsfield. So, uh, I I really enjoyed at the time the blending of the elements to me, it fit me and where I was in terms of all the things that I'd come from and was interested in at the time. So, um, I responded to it in that way. Um, I still think vocally, then and now, I think he's. Pretty original voice. I mean, there's nothing here where you're like, "Oh my," you know, like jumping out of your seat. But when you listen to his voice, it doesn't really—it's uh, not derivative of anybody else. I mean, he's not singing like Lane Staley. Um, they do some some harmonies or some doubling of vocals at times that you get a, a little flavor of House and Chains, but um, they quickly pivot um, and. I think for the most part he sings like himself, like it or not. <laughs> uh, now you can now that he's you know in a band with former members of Thin Lizzy, you can kind of hear a little bit of that influence more now than I did at the time as well. You know, there's some cool bluesy things here and there, but not o- overtly. You know, blues. Yeah, um, like Out of Season has some. Uh, has a cool guitar riff that's bluesy, but then the drums are. Even the production of the drums are like very thrash metal sounding, which is kind of a cool con- uh, contrast. And when it comes to a band like, um, you know, I definitely want to do uh, a review of uh, the Wild Hearts. But, I mean, to compare the two bands, I always felt like I want to dig into it. Obviously, it's not fair to critique them completely on this. But when this band gets heavy to me, it sounds completely authentic. When Sometimes when the Wild Hearts gets heavy, it sounds like a pop band trying to appeal to heavy metal fans. Um, but this band, I don't know, it just feels like who they are and it, you know, seeing them live, it didn't, uh, I mean, just from the drums alone. I mean, this is the way the guy plays, you know, there's a lot of cool double bass stuff in here. Um, I always found it a fun album to best drum to, you know, uh, there's a lot of accents and cool twists and turns and uh, almost to the point where there's a couple songs in here now when i revisited it they sound all, all a little cut and, i don't want to say cut and pasty but almost a little forced in terms of the amount of dynamics that are going on um
1: mm-hmm.
0: but there's always cool accents which um you know i i don't think the wild hearts push in, push enough in terms of um you know drum parts that are really interesting and just it's, uh guitar parts that are contrasting each other and doing different things and so i don't know i fi- i find this uh, to me at least this record to be uh actually more unique and interesting than than what i think of this wild heart so i don't know it, it's it's very personal probably just because it, it put together a bunch of pieces of the puzzle that that i was familiar with and and enjoyed going back and listening to it you know it's <clears throat> it's definitely Dated in some ways. Um, I think there's a couple songs on, on here that hold up pretty well still, but there's others that um, not so much. It's also hard because, you know, the downtune riff thing, we've heard it so much since since then. Right. You know, in 93, it was it was a pretty cool thing to hear, especially done in this way where it was, you know, it wasn't uh, slow. Uh, it was a lot of up-tempo stuff, like a song like uh, Possession, you know, a little faster, but it's still got the Alison Chains kind of riff going on. It, it approaches more to me of like a corrosion of conformity 90s sound than a, than really a, uh, you know, straight Chains Addiction band. So it was cool to hear the, um, you know, the tempo maintained, but have the heaviness of uh, some of the bands that were coming out at the time.
1: Here's where I'm struggling is like with a song like Addiction the The main riff that they play underneath the, underneath the verses that sort of carries the verse, to me sounds like, it sounds like a super generic. It's that dun 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 like, that's that's
0: well that's what I mean
1: riffing one oh one. You know what I mean? Yeah, but
0: but in nineteen ninety three it wasn't. That's what I'm saying. Like now we hear it, we're like, okay. I've heard a bunch of bands do that since then. We've heard 30 years of bands do that, or 20 years. But to, to me, like... In 1993, s- it was like, holy shit, this is... I've never heard this before.
1: Well, oh, I don't know. There were some bands that were, like you mentioned, like Corrosion and Conformity, and and Alice in Chains was already well-established by that point. And
0: right, but now like, when you turn on the radio, every band sounds like sure. Sure. <laughs> um, then there were me, eight
1: a, a song that 12. works better that, that that to me is successful on this record minus the extra long intro that doesn't need to be there is taken hold which I think works really well with that group shouted chorus and it's some tempo. And I, I wish that there, it has more of a, um, almost reminds me of um, something that like, like a heavier version of like Swedish rock from the late nineties, you know, Backyard Babies or something like that. Like it has like a, that kind of vibe, but just like meteor uh, in, the, in the guitars and drums and stuff like that. But it, I that to me is a song that works really well because I'm not a huge thrash fan when it comes down to it you know I like some Metallica but I'm not I don't love Metallica and I never got into any of the other bands from that genre so when this band does play you know like a song like um, I guess Power Trippin' would be in that vein of the thrash
0: like that to me is to me that's a Motorhead that's a Motorhead song okay I mean just listen to the riff and the chorus is power tripping, power tripping. I mean, it's pretty much the Motorhead formula,
1: which is the precursor to thrash, really, right? Motorhead's yeah, the, the influence yeah. on all those
0: bands. Yeah, I would say they're the one of the primary influences for thrash. Sure. Okay. It's it's you know it's heavy metal punk.
1: Sure. So and and not that you know there there were things that worked better and things that didn't. Um. There's nothing that made me like roll my eyes and go, "Oh, this is awful." There were just, and you know, obviously, we're doing this 22 years after the fact, so yeah, there are these riffs now that are completely and utterly driven into the ground by their, you know, overuse, and now they sound dated. Um, As I mentioned, you know, like addiction being one of them. I I, there are bits here and there that, you know, like what taken hold that I do like, but I just could not find myself, like, wanting to invest more than what I was already investing into. it. Like, it didn't make me go, oh, now I gotta go check out the rest of this catalog see what this is all
0: about. Yeah, and despite me liking this record at the time, um, I lost Track of the Band and honestly haven't listened to any of the records after this.
1: Because it seemed like they put out a, a number of them in succession, succession right after but, this.
0: Yeah, they did. I mean, they were, I don't know that any... Of those came out in the U.S. at the time. I think they've all been reissued and whatnot. But, um, so, I mean, this wasn't an easy record to find either. So, um, I don't think the... And this was probably the one that got the promoted the most. I don't think the others uh, saw much of... Even saw the late of day here uh, initially. You know, I, I dug the... Uh, I'm revisiting it. I mean, I, I dug Sick and Wired. Um, that was a song that... Uh, I thought it was really strong melodically, had some really cool parts in it. It, it definitely felt like uh, I could hear the Guns N' Roses influence, which had never occurred to me before. It sounds stupid, but that's that just a band at the time I just didn't think of as being um, influential. But you know, I think this this song, you can definitely hear it. song. that kind of, it sounded like if uh, Lifeblood uh, was another song where it's essentially at the core of it, a Guns N' Roses style riff, but they Mm -hmm. play it more muted and heavier probably because it's tuned down. So it gets um, a different feel. But I think at its core, you know, you could hear Slash playing that riff. Right. What'd you think of um, uh, Jesus Loves You But I Don't?
1: Like I said, I I like the the lyrical turn, mm-hmm. it's you know in it's like a, I think it's like a six eight swing sort of, um, which is uh, always a tricky beat to or tempo to play in because you kind of get locked in this sort of kind sort of dancey groove. Yeah. But um, they pull it off pretty well. I I, I always struggle with um, a band that's this heavy doing a song with acoustics. You know when it comes in heavier towards the latter half of the song, um, I almost wish that they had just played with clean electrics rather than acoustics. Um, it almost feels like they conceded well we gotta play the acoustics because this is kind of the almost the ballad mm. So it didn't necessarily It's a little it's a little long for me um, at six minutes. But-
0: I dug the structure when I revisited it. I didn't realize um, initially uh, how it was, it was structured. I kind of appreciated that. There's a couple things that they do that I like. One is the first verse, he's he's kind of back on the beat. He's very relaxed vocally. Um, with, with that 6-8 feel, it, it works pretty well. But then the second verse, he starts to get on top of it and changes up the phrasing a little bit, which I think is... Clever in terms of it starts to build momentum, and then they bring in the full band, right? And they kind of Mm -hmm. play. I think the third verse is all fully electric, but you don't really hear. And there's like a pre-chorus they go to, but it's not really a chorus until it's almost like what four minutes into it, they finally get to the the "Jesus loves you, but I don't" refrain, and Mm -hmm. which is essentially the chorus, and you're. At that point, you know, they've built, you know, up from a simple acoustic to getting on top of the acoustic to bringing electric instruments to, you know, full-blown, you know, big chorus, you know, Jesus loves you, but I don't, kind of playing off that, paying off that that lyric as well at that point, which I appreciated. Um, So from, from that aspect, I dug the understanding how they put that song together and and not getting, I mean, it's weird. Like I could see what you're saying, like them saying, all right, let's put it, you know, this is our ballad. Let's put an acoustic song on here. But it's not structured like a power ballad and it's not really even structured like a pop song. Um, It sounded like one of the listeners implied this was maybe played on the radio or it was a single or something, which is interesting. And that it's six minutes long and they don't get to the chorus until almost, Four, four and a half minutes into the song.
1: <laughs> well they're following the don't stop believing format. You don't oh. get to the chorus of that song until the end of True. it. True. True. Maybe that's So they, it clearly was. they were like, well, we got we're gonna go with the don't stop believin structure for this one, guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, so anyway I, I, I dug that. I dug the bass playing on this record. I don't know, you probably didn't notice, but um he was a really good bass player. Like he's doing all of this cool movement. Um, there's a lot of songs that, um, I guess as a, as, uh, I don't want to say a kid, I guess, let's just say I was a kid when I, when I've listened to it the first time, I didn't understand the complexity of what was going on. I thought it was all guitar, but now when I listen to it, sometimes the guitars are fairly simple, but it's the bass that's, uh, providing the movement underneath, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of cool. And then there was one other song I wanted to mention. Let's see here.
1: Is it meat hook? Cause I wanted to talk about that one.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I had some notes on that, but it was out of season, maybe. I don't know. There's one where, I guess you hear this a lot on a lot of the choruses. Melodically, the choruses aren't, you know, overly complex. Um, Sometimes they're just gang-style vocals or double vocals just saying what the song is. But some of them get fairly hooky and melodic, and it's not necessarily the vocal all the time doing that. There's a cool interplay where the guitar... Uh, changes in, in melody is playing it's providing the hook with the vocal at the same time which is kind of cool um, you know, I think a lot of times you just you know band will just play chords and they rely on the vocal to provide all the hook melody but and there's some nice complementing guitar and vocals to create the hooks and then Meat Hook has got uh, to me it's got some awesome double kick drums and um, I think the second half of the record gets a little more into the um the heavier side I guess or the more straight up, you know, uh, faster rock stuff.
1: Meat Hooks intro and verses sound like they could have bought, been off of Helmet's Betty album. Oh uh, yeah. I mean that is a that's a pretty aggressive sounding song compared to a lot of the record. I mean, the the the, the way that the drums and the bass and the guitars are all locked up That's with those, you know, pauses in the verses is a very helmet sounding thing to do.
0: I love that he's, he does the. Um, there's a bunch of cool like double kick drum accents in there It's like da 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 da. You hear the you hear the kick drum be like, you know that kind of stuff, which is I don't know. To me, if you're gonna play riffs that simple, it's awesome because you get the power. But then when you do things like that, it just makes it interesting. The 600th time you listen to the song, you know, you're like, right? There's something still there that you can appreciate. But I mean, those are. I feel like the second half of the record, after taking hold, um, maybe out of season, I think Lifeblood, Instinct, Metal, Eye to Eye tend to be more. I don't know. Crank them up in the car and don't play a whole lot of attention and just drive fast. Sure, <laughs> it's not the. It's not the, from a songwriting standpoint, not the best uh, material on the record, but uh, just, I don't know, fun rockers, performance songs. Sure,
1: we forget to. Go 80 to Lockhart. You might as well crank this. Uh, let's talk about our overall ratings on this record. Were the album better EP or decent single? Jay, you suggested it. Tell me, where are you at?
0: I'm at an, I'm at an album. I, I just, I don't know. I'm so attached to this record. I'm so familiar with it that it's difficult for me Uh to separate myself. So I had a blast going back and revisiting it. I don't know how much I'll listen to it after this, but it was fun to go back and it's like seeing an old friend, you know, you shoot the shit and it's fun to whatever catch up, but you're not necessarily going to be hanging out every weekend.
1: I'm a little bit harsher on this. I'm dangling between a single and an EP, probably at an EP. I like taking hold and meat hook. And Over the Edge, I think Over the Edge has a strong chorus um, that pairs well with taken Hold. That's three songs. I think that's probably it. If I had to, if I had to pick one of the mellower songs, I think I'd go Without a Season as maybe the fourth song to mellow it out. But yeah, I just struggled with some of the stuff sounding, you know, to my ears now thirty years late, thirty years, twenty two years later. Jesus, it will be thirty years soon. Um, just uh sounding a bit on the uh, generic side for me so didn't uh didn't make as much of an impact as i was hoping so maybe i'm wrong and maybe our listeners will tell me that uh jay you're the one who is correct in this particular instance and they can do so by going to our facebook uh, twitter and i've recently started posting over on instagram as well when we have episodes up, uh, putting up artwork and pictures and whatnot. So, feel free to leave us some feedback at those locations. And as always, dig me out uh, podcast.com. Next week, it's another review, Jay. It's a pick that I made. So, back to back picks, and I'll, and I'll be completely forthright.
0: or forthright? Yeah. Uh,
1: I picked it based on one song. I only knew one song off the album that I picked. Okay. We're going to find out together if it's a good record.
0: We'll find out.
1: Yeah. Uh, Folks out there, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. And uh, if you have an album you would like to suggest for us to review, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and uh, put in your suggestion for Jay, Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode Dig Me Out.
0: Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.